What's up everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. Alright, so we have a 76 year old man, so an elderly gentleman, and he presents to his physician's office after experiencing three fainting episodes over the past month. So fairly recently, it's not necessarily a chronic problem. He's an elderly gentleman. When elderly people are passing out fairly frequently, it definitely has you concerned. Two of the episodes occurred while gardening, so while exerting himself outside. And then the third occurred while playing with his grandson in the backyard. So what you want to take away from this is that he's an elderly guy and he's got exertional syncope. So it's not like he passed out just sitting down, like he was resting and he just passed out. He was exerting himself. You know, he had increased cardiac output. He's getting his muscles moving, and he's passing out. So that's important to, to know the distinction there. Patient has also been experiencing chest pain after long walks and climbing stairs. So again, he's having exertional chest pain or exertional angina. It's not when he's sitting down or, or just you know resting or lying in bed. It's after he's you know taking long walks, he's climbing stairs. Again, he's you know using his muscles, he's increasing his cardiac output, and that's causing him to have chest pain. So that's also definitely concerning. We've got exertional syncope an exertional angina in an elderly patient. Past medical history is notable for hyperlipidemia, certainly a cardiovascular risk factor. However, he currently takes atorvastatin, so he's definitely, he's had this diagnosed, his doctor knows about it, he's been prescribed a medication and he's taking it to hopefully decrease his hyperlipidemia, decreasing the risk factor. Um, and then he also takes a daily multivitamin as well. Physical exam reveals an S4 heart sound, which is an extra heart sound. Remember the normal is S1, S2, which corresponds to closing of the, of the semilunar and atrioventricular valves. The S4 heart sound typically corresponds to stiffening of the left ventricle or stiff ventricles. And that's due to usually increased resistance. So hypertension can cause that. Um, so chronic conditions that increase the resistance and cause the heart muscle to work even harder to eject the same amount of blood. And so over time, just like any other muscle, when you work it, it can get stiffer. That's what you hear when you hear an S4 sound. And then the physical exam also reveals a holosystolic murmur over the right second intercostal space that's radiating to the carotid arteries. So this is very significant. And then the question here is asking you, which of the following pressure volume loops reflects this patient's physiology? So this is really a two-step question. You first got to figure out the diagnosis. What does this patient actually have? And then you've got to figure out in the second step, which of these pressure volume loops corresponds to that patient's diagnosis. So let's do the first step here before we would jump into the pressure volume loops, because those can be kind of complicated and it can be hard if you don't really know what you're looking for. So let's first find what we're looking for. Let's get this patient a diagnosis. And to do that, we got to use the key history and exam findings. Now we've already gone through these as we've walked through the stem, but it's nice to have them here in a nice organized list so that we can put them all together into one picture. Remember, it's all—it's essentially like putting a puzzle together. You gotta take all the different pieces, the history, past medical history, the exam findings, and put them all together. So again, we've got an elderly gentleman. He presents with exertional syncope, exertional angina, definitely concerning. He's got hyperlipidemia, which is a risk factor corresponding for coronary artery disease, peripheral vascular disease. However, it is, it is somewhat controlled. He's taking a torvastatin. We've got this S4 heart sound, which again corresponds to stiffening of the ventricles. 
due to increased peripheral vascular resistance over time, and then holosystolic murmur over the right second intercostal space, radiating to the carotid arteries. So I think that let's start with the exam here, because you know when we have a murmur here, it's very specific, it's very specific what we're hearing. Let's try to diagnose that corresponding with this S4 sound, and then let's see if the history lines up. So if you recall your anatomy, the right second intercostal space is where you'll oscillate the aortic valve. Now we know this is this murmur is occurring throughout systole, so it's holosystolic. So if you recall during systole. The aortic valve is supposed to be open because you're pumping blood out of the aortic valve and into the aorta from the left ventricle. And so what this corresponds to is where the aortic valve is not opening quite wide enough. And so that would be called aortic stenosis. So let's draw a little diagram here to explain. So we've got the left ventricle like this. Got the left atrium like this. Here's the mitral valve. And then you have here you have the aorta. In your aortic valve. So during systole, the left ventricle is going to contract. It's going to contract just like this all the way around because you're decreasing essentially the volume of the cavity to increase the pressure. Because remember, in physics, pressure and volume are inversely related. So that you can then eventually have the left ventricular pressure greater than the aortic pressure. And that causes the aortic valve to open. The problem is an aortic stenosis, so if we do like a cross section of the valve like this, the valve's not opening all the way. And so as you can see, it would be like this, where it's it's sort of open but sort of closed, and so it's not open. And so what that does is it dramatically increases the resistance on the left ventricle, which is also known physiologically as the afterload. And you could think of it as it's the load, you know, that the heart muscle has to pump against. Um, it, it's similar to weightlifting. You know, if you li lifting a 20 pound weight is much harder than lifting a five pound weight. It's the same kind of thing. You're in dramatically increasing, you know, the pressure that the left ventricle has to pump against. As a, as a result of that, that's going to cause a murmur. And then what's classic for an aortic stenotic murmur is that it radiates the carotid arteries. Now, you may be wondering, you know, you're listening for the aortic valve. Why isn't it aortic regurgitation? Well, aortic regurgitation, regurgitation occurs when a valve that should be closed is actually open, and that's during diastole. During diastole, the aortic valve is supposed to be closed, because remember, you're filling the left ventricle. And so what you hear during, during diastole, when you hear a murmur at the right second intercostal space, is you're hearing aortic regurgitation. Now, let's go back to the symptoms here and see if this corresponds. You have exertional syncope. What's happening here is you've decreased the stroke volume, which is the amount of blood ejected during, during you know, pump, the pumping action, during systole. And so you've lost the amount of stroke volume when you, because you're spending more time having to build up pressure to overcome that increased resistance, that increased afterload. So you've lost the amount of blood you're ejecting out. Now, if you're resting or laying in bed, that doesn't matter. But if you're exerting yourself like this man is, that's going to lead to decreased blood flow to the brain and the patient's going to pass out. So it's a very classic presentation here. Elderly gentlemen, you know, exerting themselves and passing out. The other thing is this is very common in elderly patients, you know, 65 to 75 years old, very typical, because over time the valve just stiffens. It's just part of, unfortunately, it's one of the many bad things about getting older is that your, your heart valve, your aortic valve can get calcified and stiffen. It also can lead to exertional angina. So exertional chest pain. So it's not necessarily due to coronary artery disease. It can also be a result of aortic stenosis. Aortic stenosis can cause exertional angina as well. And then hyperlipidemia 
although it is a risk factor for coronary artery disease, and this patient may have some underlying coronary artery disease, it can also be a risk factor for aortic stenosis. So that's important to know. And then the S4 heart sound makes a lot of sense. You have chronic increased resistance from the, from the stenotic aortic valve. That's going to lead to a stiffened ventricle because over time, the ventricle has to remodel and constantly pump against this increased resistance. And so that's going to cause it to stiffen, and that's going to give you that S4 heart sound. So now, now that we have a diagnosis of aortic stenosis, and we know that the stroke volume is decreased, and then the afterload is increased, let's go through the pressure volume loops one by one. And now that we know exactly what we're looking for, we're looking for a specific diagnosis, we're looking for a decrease in stroke volume, and we're looking for an increase in afterload. So now let's go through all of this, the pressure volume loops with that in mind. So before we go through the answer choices, you'll notice each one of them have this solid line pressure volume loop, and this corresponds to normal. And so before you can understand the abnormal, which are represented in the dotted line pressure volume loops in each of the answer choices, you got to understand the normal. You got to understand what each of these phases are and which of each of these points correspond to. So what the pressure volume loop represents is the relationship between the left ventricular volume on the x-axis and the left ventricular pressure on the y-axis and how those correspond to each other throughout the ventricular pumping cycle. And so let's start here from four to one. So from four to one, what's happening here is what's called diastolic filling. So this is diastole. And this is where the pressure in the left atrium is greater than the pressure in the left ventricle. And what that corresponds to is the mitral valve opening. So the mitral valve is open, blood is flowing from the atrium to the ventricle. And at this point, you'll, what you'll notice is that there's only a slight rise in pressure. And that really only corresponds to it. Essentially, as you, as you fill the left ventricle, you're stretching out the muscle in a sense. So you're in helping to, as you fill it with blood, you're further increasing it with pressure. You haven't started contraction yet. So that's why it's only a slight increase in pressure. The big thing to notice here is that as you go from here to here along the x-axis, dramatically increasing the left ventricular volume. So that makes sense. It's diastolic filling, filling it with blood. And then when you get to this point, number one here, this corresponds to the end diastolic volume, which is the volume you have at the end of diastole right before you begin ventricular contraction. So then when you go from one to two, this corresponds to a phase called isovolmetric contraction. And at this point, all valves are closed. So both the aortic and mitral valve are closed. And at this point, it's in the name, isovolmetric. So you're not changing the volume at all. All the valves are closed. And so what's happening is the left ventricular muscle is contracting to dramatically increase the pressure. And you see that here as you go up the horizontal axis, dramatically increasing the pressure and the volume is staying the same here. Now, when you reach point two here, so number two corresponds to where the pressure in the left ventricle is greater than the pressure in the aorta. And so at this point is when the aortic valve opens. So point two corresponds to aortic valve opening. And so at this point you have systolic ejection or systole. And so from two to three, this is ventricular ejection. And so at this point, the ventricle is still contracting all the way to this point. The pressure is still greater. 
And then when you reach this point, this is the end of systolic ejection. And this point three corresponds to the end systolic volume, which is the volume in the ventricle left over at the end of ventricular contraction. A key concept to remember is the ventricle doesn't completely empty. It doesn't empty out 100% of the blood. So let's say the end diastolic volume is 140 milliliters. And then the end systolic volume is about 70 milliliters. So you've in total have released 70 milliliters during systole. And what this corresponds to is 140 would again be the end diastolic volume. And then 70 milliliters would be with the volume in the ventricle of blood at the end of systole. So that would be the end systolic volume. So you've ejected 70 of those 140. And so that would correspond to the stroke volume. And so the stroke volume is equal to the end diastolic volume minus the end systolic volume. And that makes sense. It's the volume of blood you started with in the ventricle minus the volume of blood you ended with. And what's important to know is for the pressure volume loop is the distance from this line to this line or the width of the pressure volume loop is equal to the stroke volume. And that's really important because the stroke volume in certain pathologies can change. It can increase, it can decrease, and that can help you identify what pathology a pressure volume loop corresponds to. So let's round out the loop here. We go down from three to four. So three to four corresponds to isovolumetric relaxation. And at this point, all the valves are closed. Notice the volume doesn't change. And what's inter is really interesting here is that the pressure in the left ventricle is severely decreasing. And this is this is normal. It's re it's relax the the muscles relaxing. The pressure is decreasing, and the pressure decreases to the point of here, number four, where again, the pressure in the left atrium is greater than the pressure in the left ventricle, and so the mitral valve opens, and then you begin the cycle all over again. All right, so now that we've gone through the normal, let's go through the answer choices here. Again, same axes, the solid line is a normal, and then the dotted line is what's corresponding to the answer choice, which is the abnormal. And so if you remember, for aortic stenosis, you have an increased afterload or increased re resistance. And then you have a decreased stroke volume because you need to increase pressure to meet that afterload to, to ex expel amount of blood. And so you essentially waste energy having to just meet that afterload. So let's keep these in mind as we go through these. So again, you gotta have a system here. Let's start over here. This is diastolic filling. As you can see, the end diastolic volume is the same. So you filled it the same amount. The preload is the same. So then if we go through here, isovolumetric contraction, this is where the aortic valve would open. And as you can see, it's about the same. So it's about the same. So I would say it's not as you didn't have to generate more pressure to increase the aortic valve. So I would say this is already looking like this is probably not our answer choice because for aortic stenosis, when we get to the right answer choice, you'll see you got it. This line will be dramatically increased where you where this breaks off. It'll be dramatically increased. And so what you see as we go from during systolic ejection, you see dramatic increase in pressure. And then if you follow it all the way along here, what you see here, down to the end of systole where you have the end systolic volume, the end systolic volume is decreased. So you have a decrease in end systolic volume. And so if you remember, the distance from across the pressure volume loop corresponds to the systolic volume. So if you've decreased end systolic volume and end diastolic volume is the same, as a result of that, you've increased the systolic volume. So if you look at what's happened here, 
you've dramatically increased the pressure and you've gotten a nice result from that. From increasing the pressure, you were able to eject more blood. So increase in the amount of blood ejected. And so what that corresponds to is actually what's called increased contractility. So that's what this PV loop corresponds to, is increased contractility. And during increased contractility, you have increased tension and increased pressure in the left ventricle. And as a result of that, you're able to eject more blood. And as a result of that, you have a decreased end systolic volume and an increased stroke volume. And so that makes sense. And that given that aortic stenosis, you have an increased afterload, which you don't see here, and that you have a decreased stroke volume, answer A, I would say, is not our answer choice. So answer choice B here, again, the solid line is normal, the dotted line is the pathology. So if again, if we start here, one thing right away that should jump out at you is that we're starting at a higher volume compared to normal when we begin ventricular filling. Now, what you, if you go up here, if, if we kind of peek ahead here for a second, if you look, the end systolic volume is actually increased. And so again, you're starting at a higher volume than you are at normal. And so you, what that means is if you have an increased systolic and systolic volume, what happened was is that you didn't eject as much blood as you usually do. So you have more blood left over. And so you're at a higher filling point. So if we go along here, and then as you can see, the end diastolic volume is slightly increased. But if you notice, it's a much more dramatic increase in, in the starting point here in end systolic volume than in end diastolic volume. And really the reason why the end diastolic volume is higher is because you started at a higher point. So I don't want you to get too hung up on this increase in end diastolic volume. What you gotta pay attention to is it's because you already started out at a higher point. So you essentially shifted the whole loop this way. What's really important here is that as you go from this point to this point up here during isovolumetric contraction, this is where the aortic valve would open. If you'll notice, this is at a much higher point than here. And so the pressure to overcome the resistance or the increased afterload is much higher. So this scenario, there's a dramatically increased afterload, so you had to spend much more time in isovolumetric contraction, spend more of that contraction just overcoming the external resistance or the afterload, just so you could get to the point of systolic ejection, as you see here. And then if you notice, if we follow it over here, again, like we said, you didn't eject as much blood out, and so the end systolic volume is increased. And so if you look at the distance here, as a result of having more blood left over and an increased end systolic volume, you decreased your stroke volume. And so an increased afterload and a decreased stroke volume, that corresponds to aortic stenosis, which is in fact what our patient has. And so this seems to be our answer choice. Again, aortic stenosis, you have that incredible increase in afterload, increased resistance that has to get overcome. And so again, you had to spend a bunch of your ventricular contraction and your force on just overcoming that stenotic valve to then get to the point where you're pumping blood out. All right, so answer choice C here. Again, let's start over here with ventricular filling. So if you'll notice here right off the bat, the end systolic volume is decreased. It's less than the normal end systolic volume. And so then as we move through filling here, what you'll notice here is that the end diastolic volume is also decreased. And so here you move from here to here. So then as we move during isovolumetric contraction, as you'll notice, it's about the same. It's maybe a little bit decreased, but not significant enough where you would say that the afterload is changed. So I would say the afterload is about the same. 
And then as a result of having a decrease end diastolic volume, what you have is a decrease preload. As a result of a decrease preload, you're not going to be able, because remember preload's essentially how much you've stretched out the heart muscles. So if you don't stretch out the muscles much, it's, it's not as powerful as usual. And so you're not going to generate as much pressure. And so that's what you see here with this dramatic decrease in pressure, left ventricular pressure. And so as you come over here, you also see a decrease in end systolic volume. What's important though, is that if you'll notice, the end diastolic volume is, is much more decreased than the end systolic volume. And what I want to point out here is at this point, this is where the mitral valve would open. And so as you can see here, you had to go to a much less pressure here. So at this point, this is where the pressure in the left atrium was greater than the pressure in the left ventricle. And so as you can see here, you had to drop the left ventricular pressure more than usual, as you can see from here to here, to allow for opening of the mitral valve. And so when you have trouble opening the mitral valve, that's what's called mitral stenosis. So let me explain a little bit further here. So you have the left atrium like this, you have the mitral valve like this, and then you have the left ventricle like this. If this is stenotic and it's having trouble getting blood from the left atrium to the left ventricle, you're not going to fill as much. It's just a matter of fact. You're just, it's just like aortic stenosis. You're not, going to you're not going to eject as much blood as you usually do. So as a result of that, you're going to dramatically decrease the end diastolic volume, the amount of blood that filled. As a result of that, you're going to then decrease the preload. As a result of decreasing the preload, you're going to decrease the amount of pressure that was generated. And so it's not a change in contractility, it's just a result of having a decreased preload. As a result of having a decreased amount of pressure during systole, you're not going to eject as much blood. And so as a result of that, you're going to have a decrease in stroke volume. And the decrease in stroke volume comes back to the fact that you just didn't fill with as much blood. All right, so our last answer choice, answer choice D, if you come down here, we started with the same volume, so the end systolic volume is the same. We go through ventricular filling here, Right off the bat, you got to notice right here, increase in end diastolic volume. That also corresponds to an increase in preload. And then if we go up isovolumetric contraction here, if you'll notice, there's not much of an increase here at all in the increase in pressure at the point of where the aortic valve opens. So I would say the afterload is the same. And then as you go through here, through systolic ejection or ventricular ejection, as you can see, this is about the same. So there's no change in contractility. And so again, you've gone to this point. Now what's important as you get over here to the end systolic volume, again, which we said is the same. What's important to note here is that as a result of the end diastolic volume being increased and the preload being increased, you had an increase in the stroke volume. And so you had an increase in the amount of volume of blood that was ejected during systole. And that follows the Frank-Starling relationship. Increase in end diastolic volume corresponds to an increase in stroke volume. Afterload's the same, contractility's the same. So this really just corresponds to an increase in preload. This is what this PV loop corresponds to. Again, that corresponds to increased venous return. And there's a number of things that can cause that. Clinically, one example would be is if you gave IV fluids. So if you give them an IV bolus of fluids, one benefit of that is it can increase their preload and increase their stroke volume as a result of that. So if we come back to the full question here with all the answer choices, again, this was increased contractility. This was aortic stenosis. 
which is what our patient in the stem has. So this is our correct answer choice. If you recall, this was mitral stenosis. And then this was an increase in preload or increased venous return. And so again, it makes sense. The history in the exam pointed toward an aortic stenosis. So then you go through the answer choice and, and look for the PV loop that reflects that and answer choice B is the one that reflects that. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you check back every Wednesday for new Da Vinci cases. And then to see the corresponding video for this audio, check out our website at dviacademy.com, where you can also find PDF notes for this audio as well. Also on our site, you can find our book and video packages for anatomy and biochemistry. You can also follow us on Instagram for weekly posts and video. And then lastly, if you have any questions about the content of this video or about DaVinci Academy, put them in the comments and our team will be sure to answer them. All right, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.